what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. This is our ongoing show where Chris and I say hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. No, I'm Chris. <laughs> hello, Alan. How are you? Great. Doing great. This is where Chris and I get together and talk about movies, talk about films. What we try to do in every episode is go through a couple of movie reviews, let you know what we thought of some recent movies that have been out or are still out at the box office as we record this. Uh, we also go through a little bit of movie news to kind of help you understand what may be happening in the film world in the future, and then always try to close out our show with our online recommendation of the episode. Those are films that maybe snuck under the radar, maybe ones you just need to go back and revisit, or something else we want to call your attention to that hopefully you'll be able to find online. This is the show for Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv, which is our online network of original podcasts and programs that you can find online for free. Visit TheMesh.tv. You can also find this show along with all other shows on Apple iTunes Podcast Store, as well as Stitcher Radio and other great podcast readers. So Chris, we've got a couple of movies to talk about today, and it's actually turning out to be more of the comedy episode, because okay. we actually have two films that are high-profile, big-budget comedies. We have the film 22 Jump Street, which is the sequel to, gosh, what was the name of that film it's a sequel to? <laughs> What was that? Uh, let's see. It has a number in the beginning. I right. believe it may have been 21. Oh. How original was that? 21 Jump Street. So we'll be talking about that film as well as a film, uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Hmm. The latest Seth MacFarlane joint, I guess, if we want to use that, <laughs> that term now. Okay. Uh, and then we'll move on and do a little bit of a recap film. I believe you saw Maleficent yes. recently. And I have not, but we'll let you take the reins on that one. Tell us about that film then our movie news, and then wrap up with our recommendations. Does that sound like a good plan to you, Mr. Fry? Yes. And unfortunately, our intern was supposed to get back to us on whether or not we had briefly talked about Maleficent, but they are on vacation. So, so we may have already talked about that film. Yeah. Maybe. But we can talk about it again. Sure. Maybe briefly. And I may say something completely different than I did yeah, last time. This time, eh. you liked it. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. All right, good. Well, we'll, we'll roll the dice and see. And I mean, our astute listeners out there can let us know if, they, if we sound a little repetitive when we That's get right. to that part of the show. <laughs> but let's get on to a, show, a film that we know for a fact we have not talked about yet because we both just saw it really recently here. Correct. That is the comedy film 22 Jump Street. What's up, dog? We're back. Well, I hoped never to see you again. Ladies, nobody cared about the Jump Street reboot, but you got lucky. We didn't have! So now this department has invested a lot of money to make sure Jump Street keeps going. The only problem is the Koreans bought the church back, so we're moving you across the road to 22 Jump Street. Chris, the concept of reviewing a comedy is a very to me, different animal than maybe reviewing other types of films. You go into a comedy that you know is a comedy primarily with one objective. Did it make you laugh? Mm -hmm. You could take the acting, take it or leave it. The story, typically in comedy, stories may be a little more flimsy. We're generally, as a society, more accepting of weaker story, weaker directing, as long as the film makes us laugh. Fair enough. Now, there are those rare instances where a movie is both very high-quality, well-made movie that also makes us laugh, and those are really a diamond in the rough when they happen. Right. Most of the time, though, it really is, do the scenes in the film make us laugh, and to what extent? So that's my simple question to you. With this being a sequel, mm -hmm. you and I have never spoken about 21 Jump Street, the original I even feel weird saying the original because really the original was a TV show back in the 80s that and 90s. very little to do with the, yeah, to do, right. right. But yet the film 21 Jump Street from back in 2012, we never spoke about the film on the show, I don't believe. Right. So I don't even know how you liked that film. But 
on its own merit, even if you maybe weren't a big fan of 21 Jump Street, did this film make you laugh? And if so, how much? Well, with, with that being the criteria, you know, yeah. going to a comedy, throw everything else out the window. Did it make me laugh? Yes, it did, it did make me laugh. Just for those listening at home with no visual aid, he kind of did a little shrugging motion with his hands when he said, yeah, yes. it kind of made me laugh. Sure. Right. So, you know, going into the movie, you know, is this my usual type of movie? No. I mean, I like comedies, but not of this ilk. Okay. Um, and definitely sequels scare me away even more so than normal. Mm-hmm. Um like, I don't even know if I've seen any other hangovers other than the first one. Um, I'm with you on that one. So, yeah. you know, seeing this was a sequel, I was kind of hesitant. I was like, okay, go see it. It's a big summer movie. It did make me laugh. Would I have liked to laugh more? Absolutely. But there were enough in there that I thought it was interesting. And one of the very – the thing that I can kind of hang my hat on is like, okay, I'll give them credit for bothering to do that. Mm-hmm. This is a sequel, like you mentioned. And they don't shy away from that at all. Um, Actually, that's kind of a running gag in the film. It's a very meta thing they weave in where they're commenting on the fact that this is a sequel to a movie that no one ever thought was going to be a really successful movie in the first place. Right. And that, that is one thing, uh, not to take the conversation away know, there, but that is one strength of the film that I did like is that it was daring enough to comment very, very directly and tongue in cheek about the fact that it is a sequel to a film that honestly overperformed. Right. 21 Jump Street was a bigger hit than I think anybody thought it would be. And they made a lot of allusions to that here in the sequel. Like saying like, oh, they, we have so much more money now. Yes, just we have a bigger budget. Whatever. Right. Yeah, We're just right. going crazy with our budget now. <laughs> uh, but they're, of course, talking about it in terms of the plot. But really, we know they're referencing the, the fact that the film even exists like it does. Right. Well, did you like 21 Jump Street? It had been built up for me a lot. Again, really? when I heard they were making a comedy out of something that was a drama that was on Fox. I never watched anyway. I was like, I don't care about that. Why would I want to go see that? I heard it hyped on, on the internet and stuff. And I was like, okay, maybe maybe I'll give this a shot. And I was expecting, they said, oh, it's so funny. And I think it because it had been built up. Did it make me laugh in some instances? Yeah. But overall, I could have took it or leave it. You know, it just didn't make that big of an impression. When I heard they were doing this, I was like, wow, I would have thought that would have been a one-and-done type thing. And the fact that they addressed it early on, that it was a sequel and they kind of – it was very meta. And not only that, but, like, I kind of <laughs> – I think I, I admired that nature more than I did the comedy nature of it because not only did they acknowledge that it was a sequel, but it's almost identical in storyline. Well, And they – Acknowledge, acknowledge that, that. absolutely like, oh, that's a running cops. joke instead of going to a high school now we're going to go to a college yep. and we're still going to try to find a drug that is mysteriously being sold yeah. like it literally and that's pretty gutsy to kind of say okay, I we're basically think, making yeah. the same film <laughs> well but they're having fun in doing so right. a, a little background on the plot for those of you who maybe have been hearing us talk about this movie and still don't quite know what what it is basically you have channing tatum and jonah hill starring as two police officers that in the last movie, not the most successful police officers got relegated to a lot of park duty, even messed that up. So they got bumped to a undercover program where they had to go as poses high school students to find out where a drug was being circulated and to find out who was providing it. Well, basically like Chris just said, 22 jump street, we have the same characters, the same setup. They're being sent to college to basically do the exact same thing. Again, I will say the meta side of this we're commenting on the kind of movie that they're in even that whole desire where even when the main characters want to try to do something different they're constantly being told no 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 don't do that do what you did last time (laughs) it's like just do it like last time and to me that was i really liked that element of the film i had a lot of fun with that in joke running in joke between the characters to me that that part of it really worked now I will say I enjoyed the first one better than this one. I do think this had a little bit of diminishing returns for me that once you got past the whole meta concept of it, it wasn't as entertaining. Right. Those were the best parts of the film is when they were commenting on the nature of the film that they're in. Uh, Beyond that, it was a pretty routine action comedy movie. 
the one thing I'll say, and I'm going to kind of lump 21 and 22 Jump Street together because okay, I just, saw them in a 24-hour period. Right. I saw 21 Jump Street the night before I went to go see 22. Did you see it in a 21-hour period or a 22-hour period? Oh, my God. It was actually a 22-hour period because awesome. I saw it two hours <laughs> before. Oh, wow. Awesome. That is weird. That's meta in itself. Yes, our, it is. our review is meta commentary on the films. <laughs> anyway, uh, I will say 21 Jump Street was better, I think, because it had the novelty of it being the original. And I really I, – I wrote down the things I really liked about these films. Okay. The meta nature of it I think is great. Channing Tatum I think is hilarious in these movies. Actually, I think he's funnier than Jonah Hill's character, even though Channing Tatum is not known for being a comedian as much. Uh, I thought his role as the kind of little bit of the jock, a little bit of the the, the big popular kid for most of his life, and man, he nailed it. And the lines coming out of his mouth or just his facial expressions really just cracked me up so much in both films. I, I would agree that Tatum to me is what kind of makes the movie. Yeah, because Jonah Hill, I don't know, he he's I don't know if it's because he's working so hard or he has the more annoying character. But yeah, Channing Tatum's just—it just seems like it's effortless for yeah, him. Yeah, right. Like he's not even acting; he's just kind of hanging out and doing whatever. It doesn't Which really, is hilarious right. to watch. It is really fun. <laughs> so yeah, he—he's kind of my my highlight of the film, and um, I guess I can pin like there are two sequences to me that jumped out of the movie that I was like, I can say like at least I laughed during these times. Mm-hmm. There's a confrontation scene that uh, Jonah Hill's character has with the his girlfriend's roommate. Yes. And when they were going back and forth. Yes. And there again, it's kind of the meta nature too, because she's nailing them on the fact that um, you are like ancient old. Yeah. You're you're like like 40 years old and you're trying to be a college student. So that I found that really funny. And then there's um, Channing Tatum has a inventive use of bystanders during a fight sequence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And that was just so there again, the thing that appeals to me is a lot of times is kind of random, odd humor, but mm-hmm. still done in a clever way. Yeah. Not just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks, but things that are done in a very, what I feel like is a very clever way. And I, I felt like that was an instance of it. And actually the whole, the, both of those instances to me were kind of clever and not something you, not like one-liners that you yeah. expect. And so that's what I kind of respond to. Um, well, I was going to point out the roommate as well, the, I, the girl's roommate, because I thought she was really fun and plays a more important role as the movie goes along. Sure. Kind of surprising. But she was fun. Everything she was in was really a lot of fun to watch. And her, her, her play with, with Jonah Hill's character was really entertaining to watch. Yeah. You know, I know Ice Cube is playing just an exaggerated version of his personality, but I still think he's fun in these movies. He had a little bit to do more in the second movie, and he has a subplot that I thought was another one of those funny scenes where we yeah. learned something that's transpired between Jonah Hill's character and Ice Cube's character. Their relationship um, changes. Their relationship right. changes, right. and there's a whole scene in the office complex yeah. I thought was really funny. Um, so there are three or four really funny scenes. I'm with you on those. I think Channing Tatum's character is really funny. I think the roommate, the the female roommate, which I don't know her name before, so I apologize, yeah. but she's, I've never seen her in anything before, but she was really good. Right. This is a film where individual pieces were really good as a whole. When you wrap it all together in a movie, it didn't work as well, but individual pieces did really, really shine in it. So Okay. My my misgivings with the film is I think it was a little long. There was an end point earlier on the film, and then when I realized they're going to keep going and keep going, I thought it maybe had run out of its welcome a little bit. Okay. Um, and I think it, some of the scenes they really tried too hard to make something funny that wasn't. Um, I'm thinking, for example, early on there's a scene of uh, octopus attack, uh, and it was just yes. – very poorly handled. It just wasn't funny, even though it was trying to be made to be so funny and it's, it just didn't work. Yeah, that, there are several scenes like that where it's just, you could tell that they were just thinking to themselves, man, this is going to be so funny. And it's like, didn't work. Just trying too hard in some places. I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. And it seems like something out of an Ace Ventura movie. Yes, like, exactly. When they got a little to... too dumb with it during the initial chase, there's a real physical violent humor segment where somebody gets really like what would be a death, deathly, act you know it was kind of played off for laughs for laughs and it just it was it was a little too cartoonish i think when they got cartoonish it just didn't work okay. i liked more of the subtle meta humor that was going on that was when things were really clicking and working well when it got to be cartoonish or too uh, slapstickish 
it, it didn't work as well. The driving the cars around campus, the little uh, mascot car and all that, that was another one that just got to be a little, Yeah, it was a little, it, they were trying so too stretched. hard to make it and it just didn't work. Sure. So, yeah. I, I think we're basically on the same page with it. And what I will say too, what this movie achieved for me that ended up making me like it more than I probably would have otherwise is honestly the credit sequence at the end. Well, yeah, that it, is really it, good. It contributes to the meta nature too, but it's, it's honestly like I didn't even get to read the credits because I was so focused on what they were doing. I'm like, wow, they're really, and basically they mock the fact that there will be future sequels well, and they don't just come up with two or three ideas. No, it's like they go 15 like, or 20 ideas yes. that they keep throwing up there. Like all these movie posters and they'll shoot like little scenes supposedly from these movies or show you little scenes. And I was just like, wow. And that to me, they put a lot of effort into yeah, those credits. A lot of, and that five minutes to me was some of the funniest five it minutes was. in the film. And yeah. it was just really, it was just really clever, and that ending on that note made me walk out of there thinking oh, – Probably yeah, a little more positive about it. I like, I like it, yeah. it more than I thought I would. So. Well, I'll say I don't think it was as fun as the original. I think looking back on Letterboxd, I gave the original three and a half stars because I did find it to be pretty funny. I enjoyed sure. watching it. This one I'm giving three just because I like the meta humor of relating it to a sequel and kind of – them all knowing what kind of movie they're in, yeah. but it just some of the some of the scenes just did not click for me, and it just didn't have that overall great comedic tone that I think the first one had. So I'm I'm knocking it down a little bit for that. But I will say, Channing Tatum, awesome. The female roommate, whatever her name is, and again, if you're listening to this show, ma'am, I apologize <laughs> for not knowing your name. I don't have IMDb pulled up at the moment, but you're awesome, whatever your name is. Tell you what, we'll make it up to you if you just call it. We'll give you an interview on the show. Yeah, just we'll, we'll, we'll help you free interview. Bigger. We'll That's give right. you some publicity because <laughs> you may not be getting any right now. But we'd like to help you with that. Um, but overall, I think it was a fun movie. Not as good as the original, but I still had a good time with it. I'm on the same page. I'll, I'll give it three stars as well. And Great. All right, so Letterbox three stars. There you go. That's 22 Jump Street, which I know uh, seems to be doing pretty well box office-wise, so I think it'll be out for a while. Uh, we're both saying, yeah, if it's that your kind of movie, go check it out. It's, it's not a bad waste of time and not a bad uh, use of your time there. All right, now let's move on to our second comedy film review as we look at the latest Seth MacFarlane comedy, A Million Ways to Die in the West. The American West is a terrible place in time. Everything out here that's not you wants to kill you. Angry, drunk people, hungry animals, outlaws. I would like to welcome a new member to our community. Welcome to our awesome town. What's with this fair? Every year, people die. Really? Everybody hold still. Oh! Hold still! People die at the fair. People die at the fair. Seth MacFarlane's latest movie, A Million Ways to Die in the West, is his follow-up to Ted and also his follow-up to his Oscar hosting. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mr. MacFarlane has done both of those things very big. Uh, this movie is – he stars as the central character. He's a cowardly farmer that begins to fall for a mysterious new woman in town. But then his courage is put to the test because her husband is a gunslinger and he comes into town. There's all sorts of, like, trouble. This movie stars – as I mentioned, Seth MacFarlane, Charlize Theron, Liam Neeson, Giovanni Ribisi, Neil Patrick Harris. Got a lot of got a lot of big names in there. Sure. And it was his follow-up to Ted, which was successful. It was a very successful film. And, and one that I remember giving a fairly positive review to when we talked about it on the show a couple years ago. Right. So this is his follow-up. And I must admit, I think we discussed it a little bit. I know um, off mic. I don't know if we actually mentioned it on mic, but... Despite not having seen Ted and not being the biggest Seth MacFarlane fan, seeing the trailer for this movie in the theaters because, you know, it was shown a lot, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to give Mr. MacFarlane another chance because this looks like it's going to be pretty funny. If anything, I actually thought it was curious because it looked like it may be an update of sorts of Blazing Saddles. Oh, so, careful where you're going there. So I was like, interesting. Alan, how did you – how did – did you find a million ways to laugh in this movie or what, what was your general reception? Mm, three. I think I found three, three ways, ways to laugh to and that was about it. Okay. This is a, the more I keep thinking back to this movie, this is a very strange movie and it's one where I'm really came out with some very, very conflicted feelings. Overall, I didn't care for it. Okay. Overall, I was, didn't find a whole lot to walk away liking. And it is to kind of, Jump on one of the points that you made with 22 Jump Street as far as your introduction, mm -hmm. comedies, how you rate them. Yeah. Did you laugh? 
There are, I look at this as the same way as I look at one of the family guy episodes, which is what Seth MacFarlane writes and does a lot of the voices for. I can watch those episodes. There may be one or two moments in an episode that I laugh out loud and the rest of it. I just, they're just trying too hard and it just doesn't work. That's kind of the way this, this movie was. I can pick out two scenes that I thought were outright hilarious and that's it. The rest of the movie I thought like was really flat. And I think it's more the premise that killed me. It's just the, the, the title refers to the fact that the main character played by Seth MacFarlane is always commenting on how you, we're in the old West and people die all the time. Right. And it's a very dangerous place to live. And I love right. that concept. Right. And it's a little bit of that same meta concept going back to 22 Jump Street. Kind of, I'm commenting on the fact that I'm in a Western movie and people die right. of the it's most bizarre things. It's such a harsh place. But the concept of him playing the lead role where he is a perfectly manicured young man with gelled hair talking in a very modern vernacular. Right. But yet no one else that doesn't seem out of place to anybody else. (laughs) I don't know if maybe there was a subplot where there was some time travel involved that they cut out of the movie at the last minute where he's from the future and now he's commenting on being in the past. Interesting. You mentioned time travel. Yeah. Because there was a cameo there was a, by there was a cameo by somebody from one of my absolute favorite films, right? Um, in, involving time travel, yeah, that was that was another one of those Family Guy moments where it's like just kind of out of the blue. I want to make this, I want to do this cameo scene, and I think it's going to be hilarious. And you watch right. it, and you're like, yeah, it's cute, but whatever. I just had real conflicted feelings because I don't know what this movie was wanting to be. If it was wanting to be a true western comedy. I don't think Seth MacFarlane should have been the lead role in this. I think you could have gotten the same level of comedy and story along with a better person in that role. If you wanted to make it a true, hey, we're going to go back and make this meta commentary on the West and we're going to do it by somebody from modern day being there, that could have worked a little better. It's just overall, I don't think Seth MacFarlane was the right guy to be in the starring role. And then I think it was like a Family Guy episode where you had a couple laughs every once in a while and then it fell flat for the whole rest of the movie. That's me on this. I, I generally didn't find a whole lot to like coming out of this. What's your thoughts? Well, with the movie, I, I this the black hole at the center of this movie, or I guess the the cactus staring me right the face, or whatever Western illusion I could make. But Seth MacFarlane mm-hmm. is, you know, I believe he can write jokes, and he he's a good writer, I guess, for the type of material he does. I'm not his biggest fan, but he was such a horrible actor and they, you know, mm-hmm. I guess he has done some acting before, but when you put yourself up against Liam Neeson or Giovanni Ribisi or any of the other actors in here, it's like, he just who are all doing a pretty good job. Oh No, I think they're all doing a yeah. fabulous job and it just reflects on him so much worse that he's not leading man material. Right. And I think that's the problem. I'm not to say he's not talented. I just think being a lead man is not his, well, you know, the thing is the role he played in Ted which was the voice of the bear. Okay. Perfect for his abilities because it's basically, he got to just be the stand-up comedian riffing on everything. And he, he nailed that. He nailed it. That's what made that movie really funny. I think was his voice talents and the, 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 the secondary role he played to the main character in this movie, he has to carry the entire film. And the fact that he still looks like Seth MacFarlane that we see hosting the Oscars, he looked exactly, which really, bothered me it's like the guy's got porcelain white skin perfectly quaffed hair right but yet here he is in the old west talking about how how hard it is how horrible everything is in the old west it's like well it doesn't really look it's taking its toll on you too much you know (laughs) it just it was a mismatch i think i think he's a a good comedic writer and i think directing the film like he did ted i'm sure he could you know directing was fine i guess there was nothing really bad about it but I agree with you. It's just him being in that lead role just did not work in this film. And I, I, I agree. And I, I think the other thing, I, I didn't think I am on the same page with you. If not, I liked it maybe a little less than you. Um, and, but then again, I'm not the biggest fan of Seth MacFarlane. But well, I'm not either. My yeah. criticisms would be that um, the repetition of the jokes. Yeah. Um, there's a joke that has a prostitute like thinking she's a virgin, basically. Yes. And okay, you know, funny possibly but they reuse it over and over again and they don't add anything they don't layer anything at, upon the comment it's just nope every time you see this person it's like oh yeah she's a prostitute ha 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 and they keep 
And it's like, yeah, but that's not funny because you've already used that joke. Well, before. and that's that's a Seth MacFarlane trait, unfortunately. You look really? at any of his other stuff and it's reusing jokes that he personally seems to find funny. And they may be funny the first time you hear them, but after a repetition, you don't like them anymore. Well, you not, get sick of them. And um, let me clarify too i'm not saying you can't have a callback right and somehow you know make a layered reference or somehow add to the joke but this was nothing but no i'm going to say another disgusting sexual thing i've done as a prostitute uh, it's it's, it it's was, not a clever callback no, at all that's just, i think that's a real challenge there i think uh i'll tell you my absolute number one pet peeve of this film the thing that will automatically knock it down a star in my rating is i'm sorry but when you have Charlize theron who does fine in this think she's a good actress Mm -hmm. but you intentionally have her in scenes when she's sitting down listening to seth mcfarland characters talk talk talk, laughing laughing at his jokes right yeah so in other words he's doing a stand-up routine right while they're sitting down having a talk and she's busting out laughing at the things he's saying right away that breaks everything in the film for me if we're supposed to believe his character but yet he goes on these stand-up comedy routines that has this girl busting out laughing Right. It's completely conflicting, and it just makes you just not feel like you're really in a, in a storyline-driven movie at all. You know, and it's, it, it has to come back to a little bit of conceit, too. I mean, you look at it, and you think, okay, the guy casts himself as the lead, and he's intentionally giving himself all the funny lines and having this beautiful lead actress laughing at every funny line he says. Mm-hmm. It just That just didn't work. It really, really frustrated me by the end of the film. I think, too— um that there was content in this movie that was funny, mm-hmm. but it, cause I saw it in the trailer and unlike how it's portrayed in the trailer, when you put it in the context of the movie, actually a lot of restraint was taken away mm-hmm. and that made it less funny. For example, those of you that have seen the trailer, there's a joke about a block of ice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. in the trailer, I found it funny in the movie. They have the block of ice falling on somebody. Okay. You see that in trailer kind of funny. In the movie, it happens, but it not only falls on the guy, but basically gout or like dense in oh, his head. Oh, it's extremely violent. And, it, yeah. and it's just like, why? And then why, it's surrounded why they, by... Why did they do that? And then it was like surrounded by constant cursing, yelling about it, oh, which man. the cursing, again, and I don't want to sound get on the holy moral ground here. I mean, <laughs> I have no problems, none with cursing in films whatsoever. Some of the best films I love are filled with it. But it's used to a point, not just to be a response to everything. And I felt like this film honestly felt like every response we need to make to anything happening around us just needs to be blurting out a curse word. Well, and I, I, I am completely on the same page with that, with you on that, because at first I was like, well, maybe I'm just too old. You know, maybe the, and it's specifically the F word being used over and yeah. over and over again. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just the fact that Seth MacFarlane can't think of any other word to say, mm-hmm. so he's saying that. But at one point when he's doing his little stand-up routine, Charlize Theron's character reacts, and she says it. And I'm like, whoa, it just it's seems so like out of the blue forced. for her just to say this yeah. word. I'm like, why? Just and again, that brings work. up to the whole issue I've got where I don't doubt that there was cursing in the Old West, but I don't think it was those words, the words that they're using, again, they're, they're, they're confused on the whole like sailor cursing or cowboy yeah. curse as opposed to just saying one word. Are you, are you trying to make a true period comedy or are you going for a more broad, a very high concept comedy? Right. And I don't think they quite figured it out even <laughs> by the time they started shooting the film. Right. So again, I'm not at all saying don't curse in movies. It's a, no, it's just use it the way it needs to be used as normal people would use it. Right, and also, Not forced as a, every time I see something, I'm going to just drop this one word and just use that constantly throughout the film. It just didn't seem to fit with the characters. And I'll, I'll back you up on that because it's not like I can't have cursing in a film. Big Lebowski, yeah. they say the F word a lot. But it just, it's it done works. in such a way that the characters, that's who they are as a character. Where you, Like you're saying, you see this perfectly styled man who's this earnest, nice guy that everyone likes, yet he, for some reason, walks around and just says the F word constantly. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and no one ever says, like, ooh, mighty foul mouth today, like, yeah. for such a nice man. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. There was just so many. I will say there were a couple moments I thought were really funny. The scene about the dollar bill. I've still been quoting myself. They're at the carnival, okay. and somebody is at, bets a dollar bill, <laughs> okay. and everybody in the crowd's like, oh, there's no such thing as a dollar bill. You know, that's a myth or whatever. And then, okay. sure enough, the guy pulls it out. And the crowd gets silent. 
And a little boy starts talking to dad's like, hey, shut up, son. That's a show your respect. That's a dollar bill right there. You know, just this whole mythical dollar bill. That little moment was funny. That's the kind of thing where if that was in a Family Guy episode, yes. Funny. And that doesn't, and that, that was funny. I'd forgotten because there was so much about this film that I didn't like yeah, that sure. I actually, unfortunately, I wrote I down the, the funny. funny thing I liked. Yeah. But that, that's, and that's an example of something that doesn't rely on crass humor yes. or, but it's that kind of humor that's kind smart of smart humor and kind of smart humor that that's just generally what I respond to. The yeah. hangover didn't have a lot of that, but I found that funny. That was kind of an exception to the rule. But yeah, there's, there wasn't enough of those funny moments, clever, funny moments for me in this movie that made it. Well, and Chris, did you find too, I mean, there were, there were whole entire scenes of this film that had no intentional humor whatsoever. Oh yeah. There's a lot, the, the love interest between Albert, Seth MacFarlane's character and Charlize Theron's character during the second third of the movie, or like there's just this extended thing of them kind of like looking longingly at one another and sharing campfires. It became a very dramatic film, which like, and I'm not Didn't saying work. you can't mix comedy and drama, but when your comedy is so over the top at moments and then you try to weave in a more serious drama into it, it doesn't fit. Agreed. You can do comedy and drama, but it's got to be in moderation of each other. It can't, not, it can't be this complete mood swing when you switch the gears on us. Um, and even like early on, you know, the scene with uh, Liam Neeson, generally none of the scenes with Liam Neeson are funny. No. Uh, they're played very straight, him being the bad gunslinger guy. Which he does uh, a good job at that. He does. Yeah. But I mean, there's a scene where he shoots an old man, and you know, just and, and yet it's dramatic. But yet, then we go right away the very next scene to Seth MacFarlane yucking it up and being <laughs> just vulgar humor and all that. It just—it's a very strange film, and it I did is. not like it. Other than a couple few moments, I laughed out loud. Otherwise, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, I'm. I'll, I'll agree, and I'll go ahead and I guess say my my star rating for yeah, it. Uh, I'm guessing one, one I, and a half. Actually, here's the thing. I'm giving it two stars, and oh. the reason behind it is Neil Patrick Harris gives it an extra half star. Otherwise, it would be rated the same as I rated This Is The End, which was a star and a half. And You like this better than This Is The End. Oh, my. Chris. Right. Well, I notoriously hated that movie. So, well, I know you did. And I'm... the reason why is Neil Patrick Harris, like, even though he was given very little to do, he did it and he was interesting. To, I liked seeing when he was on screen. Every time Seth MacFarlane was just on screen by himself, boring. He bored me. Neil Patrick Harris, he was having fun playing. He was, you know, he's basically playing a bad guy mm-hmm. and literally the mustache twirling bad oh, yeah. guy. And he played it and he was winking at the audience, but he still gave it what I felt like was his all. And as a matter of fact, there's a scene which I think take, you know, you said maybe this was a future or like a time travel type thing that they kind of discarded. Mm. Well, you know what? I could not believe knowing Neil Patrick Harris was in this seeing the trailer where it looked like a dance thing was going on. I could not believe that Neil Patrick Harris didn't sing the song that he was doing the dance number. He's a Broadway person. He dances, he sings. So Seth MacFarlane, apparently, well, he actually sings as well. I couldn't believe they didn't turn this into a musical. Oh, that whole scene was, was a mess anyway. Because I saw from the trailer and I thought, oh, there's going to be some singing and dancing. And that might Which be kind of interesting. Also. And it's like, and both Seth MacFarlane's a really good singer too. No, that actual, actual that, that song and dance scene, I, A, you couldn't make out half the words nope. of what the lyrics were for the nope. song. And it just, there was nothing really funny about it. No. It was like, just, I don't know. It was, it was a big disappointment of a film. Not that I went in with any high hopes at all, but <laughs> even the lower hopes I had were still kind of met. There's so much you could have done with the film and with the premise and the concept. And we needed a good modern day Western comedy. I think it would have been a perfect timing for it. Sure. It just, man, so many things about this film just did not work. And I really think... You got to replace the lead actor. Let Seth MacFarlane write it. Let him direct it. Go for it. But him in that role was just complete miscast and was way too distracting to the rest of the film. I I would agree. So, how do you come out as far as your star rating? See, I was going to do a one and a half, but I mean, you know, I I actually I'm going to give it a lower rating than you did, and I (laughs) I think you hated it more than I did. But man, I'm one and a half to two. I'm somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, it's. If it wasn't for a couple of moments that made me laugh out loud, I'd have a hard time even giving it one. But, wow. you know, it had some beautiful Western scenic shots in the opening credits. Well, okay, let's... So I'll give it that. If we're, if you we're know? going to say positives about it, 
the positives that I had, like I mentioned, was Neil Patrick Harris, and I really enjoyed him. So that that gives it the two stars from here. He gives it an extra half star, so it's not just one half. I really liked Charlize Theron because I'd never seen – I haven't seen a lot of her, but the stuff that I have seen her in has been nothing like this, mm-hmm. never doing funny things, never doing – and her in this, like it was just interesting to see her you know, do a comedy, and you know, I thought I thought she was good. And then the cinematography of a lot of it I thought was really cool because it was – seemingly very accurate to like the style of Westerns. And it was very, you know, beautiful to look at in some shots and the opening specifically, as well as the score. I thought the score was really faithful and gave me that feeling, the opening credits and the titles and everything. I was like, yeah, this is totally going to be like an update of Blazing Saddles in some ways. And no, it wasn't. So that it really got me. But those things I did like some of the, some of the style and the framing, we're cool. It just didn't work with the overall. Movie. Yeah. So overall, we're both saying, yeah, you can skip million ways to die in the West. Unless you're a diehard, diehard Seth MacFarlane fan, in which case you'll probably love it because maybe that's my problem is I'm not. Yeah. I think we're both probably not the right target audience for this film to True. begin with. Well, that's our two reviews. So we had the films uh, 22 Jump Street and A Million Ways to Die in the West. Both of them were still out in theaters as of the time of this recording. Uh, and of course, the way things are going, they'll probably be on uh, iTunes or online within, what, six weeks or something. <laughs> so they go pretty quick these days. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get Chris's thoughts on the film Maleficent. Did I say that right? Yes. I always have a hard time pronouncing that word. Uh, we'll do a couple of news items and then we'll close out the show with our recommendation for the episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. If you listened to the first half of the show, you heard us talk about 22 Jump Street and you heard us talk about A Million Ways to Die in the West. Uh, one fairly positive, one fairly negative review from the collective group of us here around the table. But uh, Chris, to get out of the comedy vein just for a second, we did have one film that you saw recently that we don't think we've talked about of course it may have been here's what that happens guys i'm talking you directly to the listeners chris and i work in the same building yes we see each other at other functions as well and sometimes we go and see these movies together most of the time we don't so when we get together we will generally talk about movies even during breaks and all during the workday sometimes the blending together of what films did we talk about in the show and which one did we not? It's a little hazy. So, and again, our intern took the semester off. (laughs) So we're kind of, uh, we don't remember if we talked about this film, but Chris, give us the high level view here. Disney's Maleficent starring Angelina Jolie talking the, the Maleficent begins story, I guess of this villain from the sleeping beauty classic film. Uh, overall thoughts. What'd you think of this film? Well, it was very intriguing to me because I watched that TV series, which some of you guys probably do too, uh, Once Upon a Time. And basically they take fairy tales and they turn them a little bit and they bring them into modern day and they just kind of change your expectations. For example, in that storyline, beauty is actually the beast is Rumpelstiltskin. They kind of combine certain myths and they kind of change things around. They bring it into modern day. So it's like in our world, but yet they're fairy tale people. So it's... Hmm. It's kind of an interesting way. And it's also done by Disney because it's ABC. Okay. So when I heard about Maleficent, I thought, huh, interesting. They're going to try to – and the trailers made it look like they tried to humanize Maleficent, whereas before in the traditional Disney cartoon, she's nothing but like an evil witch. Mm-hmm. Right. So – and that is basically the storyline of the movie is Maleficent, you learn a little bit of her backstory, and then you see the progression through the rest of the film where the events of – you know having a curse put on uh, Princess Aurora and she falls into a sleep. Like all those things still take place, but you get to see it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought it was good. It was entertaining. And even though I knew the story going in, there's actually some narration at the beginning that says, you know, I'm going to tell you a story you think you know well. You know, let's see how well that plays out. Mm-hmm. And basically okay. they do introduce some elements that aren't the same as they are in the cartoon. So it's, 
it's an interesting it's an interesting telling. And Angelina Jolie, who I've never been, you know, her biggest fan. I mean, I just think she's okay. But I think it was like this role was made for her. Mm, <laughs> she does a, it's a really perfect good casting. Job. Huh? Yeah, it looks she looks like Maleficent. The acting and everything. I, I thought she was. I thought she was perfect. Okay. Um, there were enough twists on the original story that kept me like interested in it. And then the nods to the original, for instance, like there's the baby shower scene, I guess, in the castle. I don't know what else to call it. But um, Maleficent makes her big entrance and that there are echoes of the original cartoon in there. Like you see her shadow on the wall. You see mm-hmm. some other things. And it's they still paid homage to the cartoon, but they stood apart from it, too. So it was, I thought it was a really good balance. Oh, interesting. I will say I was surprised that they kept it PG. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it had been, but it, you know, it is Disney and it, it's all marketing and stuff. And I think it was good. They kept it PG because that probably kept a lot of things out of it that would have made it so that kids couldn't go see it. Right. Probably to me would have been a better film and a more serious film. And it is dark anyway. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a dark film, but it would have been a little better if they maybe would have had it be PG 13 because that mm-hmm. would have allowed them to kind of take some seriousness and keep the tone right. in place. Um, but overall I liked it. Um, the opening, there's some opening CG animation that's done when they're explaining the world Maleficent came from, mm. and that was a weakness. And I was like, Uh-oh. "Pretty dodgy, yeah." <laughs> mm. Not that it was bad; it just looked very, you know, cartoonish and silly. And I was like, "Wait a second, if I walked into <laughs> what a, did I just get into? <laughs> yeah, am I going to sit here watching a My Little Pony movie for yeah. like an hour and a half?" But wow. it, you know, it kind of it redeemed itself. So. Chris, you're not letting your recent trip to Disney World influence this decision at all in any way, are you? Uh, no, no. Okay, no, all right. No, um, no I'm not. Uh, I saw the movie before I went down there, and of course, posters were plastered all oh, over I'm the sure place. Oh, I'm sure they were. Because um, yeah. Disney, they, they know a little bit about marketing. They do. Yeah, they yeah. Do. They're, they pretty, pretty, they're pretty okay with that. So, um, yeah. But I, I would, I, letterbox wise, I'd give it three and a half. Oh, good. Okay. So. Well, that's good. I actually, you know, I've had no desire to see the film. But I've heard enough positive things about it. I'll definitely check it out when it's online, available to watch. But yeah, I'm I'm curious. I guess yeah. I'll, I'll leave it that way. Yeah, yes. it's. I, I wouldn't say you have to run out and see it in the theater, but it's not a bad film. And if you're interested in Disney at all, yeah. So or like Once Upon a Time, then this is for awesome. You. Great. So Maleficent. If we have talked about it before. Go back, compare it to how Chris <laughs> felt about it the first time he talked about it, and let us know where there's differences. Right. If we have not talked about it before, then great. That was a new review for us. Thank you, Chris, for uh, sharing your thoughts on that film. So, Chris, we got to talk a little movie news. We do this every episode. We try to hit a few headlines on what's happening in the movie world because I'm, I'm a big fan of movie news. I love reading stuff. I love tracking box office returns and all that. But, you know, honestly – these days, it's almost like the news kind of just centers around one film, hmm. and it's really hard to avoid not talking about that film. Okay. So I almost feel like this may have to be an ongoing, recurring segment on the show. <laughs> What's the latest Star Wars Episode Seven news? Right. So cue your John Williams theme song music as we talk for a second about some Star Wars news. I don't ever want to get overdone with this, but it is one of those things where it's such a big movie going on being produced right now that I think it's either going to be really spectacular for those of us that have been fans of the series, the original ones, or it could be a complete misfire or something as shrug worthy. I don't know. We don't know. But there's a lot happening with it. The biggest news I think that came out just in the last couple of weeks, episode seven, which is following, going to be following the storyline of Luke Han and Leia, along with a slew of new characters, younger characters, had already announced months ago its director of J.J. Abrams. We talked about it on on this particular show as well. A a selection that I'm very happy with. I'm very curious to see how he does. I think they probably made the right choice in getting him to helm this this new trilogy, the first one. But it was also very clear that it was going to be just the first movie that he was assigned to. Well, just in the last couple of weeks, they announced uh, that a director that you and I are both fans of yeah. has now been tapped to write and direct episode eight. And there was even some confusion and still is about whether or not he's also writing episode nine. And that is Ryan Johnson. And for those of you not familiar with the name, uh, we have spoken about the film Brick in the past. I know it's been a recommendation of ours and, in the past. And we reviewed Looper back when we talked about Beast of the Southern Mind. We reviewed Looper. Uh, the Brothers Bloom, we've talked about as well. Right. Uh, that's his three films so far. All three films we really like. So now here's a guy who may not be as mainstream well-known yet, 
Looper was his biggest hit and Correct. did pretty good, I think, box office-wise. But Ryan Johnson has been tapped to direct and write episode eight, maybe also write episode nine. Chris, what are your, I mean, you heard that news. I think I may have even texted you a link about this while you were at Disney World. You did, yeah. Because it's funny, I was at Disney World when they announced that J.J. Abrams was going to be directing episode seven. And my friend, <laughs> my friend Brad That's texted funny. me that link when I was sitting down for dinner at Disney world. So wow. kind of a little weird circle of events there. Hmm. Your thoughts on Ryan Johnson as the next episode director. Well, I, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I think he'll do a good job just like, you know, I'm pretty sure it, I would think Abrams would do a good job. Um, I will say though, it like, you know, when you, I've heard that Alfonso Caron had directed uh, the Harry Potter movie that he did um, prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. I thought that was good and it turned out to be good. What's interesting is they're bringing directors that have J.J. Abrams has a certain style, mm-hmm. not just somebody who's not just a warm body to direct a movie. They seem to be bringing people that have a style or a sense of a sense of the genre because mm-hmm. he's done Star Trek and with Ryan Johnson, he definitely has a genre or a, a sense of style, and he's done Looper, which was science fiction, and so I'm glad that he they're being able to bring these people on, but. I'm just a little concerned because I feel like there's so much news. I feel like, I don't know, it's just overwhelming. You know, mm. I mean, I am a fan and I'm glad that the movies are happening, but I'm just surprised that it's not being doled out any slower. And yeah. actually, another news item, we had talked about how um, Gareth Edwards, the Godzilla guy, was going to be directing the spinoff movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they also announced that Josh Trank from Chronicle has been tapped to do the second spinoff. Mm-hmm. So we've got, you know, Abrams, Ryan Johnson, Josh Trank, Gareth Edwards. We've already got four directors' names attached to this franchise. It's just like. And we haven't even started, stopped filming the first right. episode seven. It's just. Yeah. It's just over. I am surprised at the overexposure of news items on this. And I would have thought, especially with Disney involved, yeah. that there would be a little more control over all this. Why right. in the world? I mean, I'm I'm with you. I'm super happy that Ryan Johnson's going to be the director of number eight because I do like his films. I think it's going to be fun going from JJ's movie to Ryan's movie mm-hmm. because they are very different types of filmmakers, very different styles. And I love that. I love the fact that we're not going to be tied to a singular vision for this trilogy. But I'm with you. I'm really shocked that they're already talking all these other ones up before the first one has even gotten completed its production schedule. I mean, I guess if anything, the spinoff director announcements made a little bit more sense because those are kind of more standalone pieces, I guess, or they're supposed Mm -hmm. to be from what we've been told. So yeah, just really, really surprising to me. Well, I'm surprised as well, but I overall, if they had to choose a director to do it, to be the director, I'm perfectly happy with, with Ryan Johnson. I think it'll be an interesting take and i'm really hopeful that they continue that trend with the third movie and have a completely different type of director to do something you know who uh, i heard i'd heard this story a while back and i just forgotten about it but it kind of came back up again last week as we're talking about directors being assigned to star wars movies do you know uh that david cronenberg was approached to do one of the original trilogy films and turned it down was it jedi it might have been return of the jedi yeah I keep thinking how Wasn't cool. David Lynch at one point approached to do David Lynch was supposedly in conversations as well. Wow. How cool would it have been to have some of those filmmakers oh, make yeah. an episode? Absolutely. Um, so that's why I'm kind of anxious, although I don't want to hear about it for several more years. <laughs> I'm anxious who they're going to get to do the third one in well, this new that, trilogy. That's okay. You know, we've talked in length. We've done our, you know, trailers that we liked and all this kind of stuff. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that just all this news so early in the game is getting my expectations. It's setting those high expectations. And of something that I like so much, you know, I loved Star Wars as a kid, and I'm one of the few people that actually likes Phantom Menace, I think. The other two, yeah, they have Mm. their problems. But I do like one of the newer prequels that they did. I like the Phantom Menace. So I'm just afraid that all this is hyping me up and I'm going to be let down. Could be. How great would it be, and this is more of a utopian society that we'll never live in, (laughs) where we just hear that, yes, they're working on Star Wars Episode Seven. Hang tight. And all this time goes by. We don't hear anything else about it. And then, oh, by the way, it starts in three weeks. And go see it. And without knowing anything about okay, it. Okay. How cool would that, that be? That would be amazing. I'll even one-up you on that. Not only that, there are no trailers. Well. Go yeah. see the movie. 
That's like oh. that's the only trailer you don't. Could you, you imagine you walking into a movie this, theater? You've had all yeah. this other news, mm-hmm. and, and so it's like it's no mystery, and like there are no trailers. It's just like, and you may see the movie poster at the movie theater a couple of months before it comes out, or you see the big cardboard standouts. That's it. Yeah, there are no tra- that would movie be poster so cardboard amazing. cutouts. And if you had to do a trailer just to let people know the film's coming, do one of those really With old style and like, teaser yeah. trailers coming, whatever year. List the stars, title of the movie, right. maybe like one quick little shot, then done. Kind of like the the trailer was for Phantom Menace. Do you remember how when that came out, it was a teaser trailer, and they showed very little footage. You heard Darth Vader breathing in the background, like towards the end of the trailer. It was a very... I don't know. I remember the first trailer that came out for Phantom Menace, and I mean, it was a full trailer with a lot of shots. It didn't tell you anything about the storyline, which right. I think was good. See, I, I know we're getting off our topic here, but it did make me think about something. You know, we had a conversation about trailers yeah. a while back. Right. And just kind of our, I like them as an art form. I still love watching trailers because I think that just as much craft goes into crafting a really good trailer as maybe the film itself. Sure. But I've realized something with trailers that I think is negatively impacting my film going experience. And it's something that brought, was brought to my attention. Somebody brought up online about the fact that when you see a shot or a scene in a trailer, and you get two thirds of the way through them actually watching the movie and you haven't seen that scene yet, you know, that scene's coming. (laughs) So it's like, you're almost kind of building out. You're already plotting out where the film's going based on the shots you remember seeing in the trailer. Sure. And I never really thought about it in terms of that, but it's true. You start trying to assemble the film and kind of predicting the scenes before they happen Hmm. based on a fleeting three second shot you saw in that trailer. Right. And it's, it's true. It really (laughs) does happen. So I'm with you now. I want creative, inventive trailers. I don't want you to show me scenes from the film. Or if what you're going to do is like what they've started doing with some films lately is showing you a little tiny bit, maybe one minute of the opening scene. Yeah. That's it. Don't. So I don't mind going into the film knowing what the opening scene looks like. I don't want to see any films. I don't want to see any scenes past that. Gotcha. So anyway. All right. <laughs> uh, well, last piece of news on the Star Wars front. Uh, Harrison Ford. Mr. Han Solo, yes. who my understanding is, from everything I've read, does play a fairly substantial role in the episode seven. Oh, cool. Again, I'm going right against the efforts of what we just talked about and talking about <laughs> things to expect in the film. But where this is of interest news-wise is that he had an accident on set. Hmm. I think I heard he broke his leg. Oh, wow. So he is going to be laid up for several weeks. This is causing the production team, from all the rumors we're hearing, to have to circle the wagons and say... Can we meet our December 2015 deadline for doing this film now? Because supposedly Harrison Ford's part is now being delayed filming any more of it. And nobody wants to go back and rewrite the script to fit this. Sure. So what do we do? Hmm. Do we keep the December or do we have to move it to Memorial Day, May 2016? Wow. So just kind of keep throwing that out there that there could be a delay or... This could be J.J. Abrams playing his little misdirection thing and having fun and making you think something that's not really happening. Who knows? Hmm. Did you have any news items, uh, anything that we need to be talking about here? Well, I was going to say that um, I was going to mention two. Unfortunately, they are both science fiction, but they're not Star Wars related. Okay. All right. (laughs) That's fine. Stargate. Are you a fan? Never seen it. Wow. Okay. Never seen um, it. But it, it's done by uh, the Independence Day guys. Roland, Roland Emmerich. Emmerich. And mm-hmm. uh, Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin. So they've announced that they are in Kurt Russell, devel- right? And Kurt Russell. Yeah. And uh, James Spader. Oh, yeah. Right. And that they're in development on, you know, they had a TV series, I guess, on Showtime. Never saw that either. Never, I never saw that. Mm-hmm. But the original movie, I really liked. Okay. And I feel like it's kind of underseen. Um, well, they've announced that they are going to like reboot it. <laughs> okay. Um, and reboot. I don't ever hear people ever doing that with films these days. Well, and the thing is, they've already got Independence Day two in the works. That'll be uh, mm. 2016. Yeah. So it's going to be a while. But the other interesting thing to me too is not only are they going to reboot it, but they're rebooting it as a trilogy. So hmm. they actually want to make three movies centered around the I don't know. You lost story. my attention when you said they're doing Independence Day 2. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I care nothing about Independence Day 2. No, but just, I would be interested to see what they do with So Star is this Day. their movie-making style now, is we're going to reboot and sequelize the films we've already done? I think so. But nice. the Stargate, I'd be interested to see because mm. I, I really like Can't they have somebody else make it, though? I mean... Maybe. maybe. I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, couldn't they... 
let's 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 give a really interesting director to it, somebody who completely contrary to what you would expect, and see what they can do with it and put a different slant on it. Well, supposedly it is going to be those two, but maybe by the time it actually gets past Independence Day 2, maybe they'll surrender it to somebody else, I don't which know. Uh, would probably increase my interest more. But I'm interested just because I have fun. You like the story. Well, I need to see date. it at some point. I'd, honestly, it's one of those on a long list of films that, you know, yeah, I should check these out one day. Now, maybe I, I should revisit it because I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> um, okay. And the other reboot that I was going to mention was um, the rebooting Predator. I did read about that and, too. And uh, David Tash, the director of uh, Iron Man Three, Shane, Shane Black, Black, yeah, mm-hmm. who was actually, I guess, the creator of the Lethal Weapon thing. He, he was the writer. writer or the writer. Yes, okay. he wrote that, and I think he wrote, uh, and wrote and directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Did okay. you ever see that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's kind of got the whole action genre. He's got that a pretty good handle on that. Right. I was not a huge fan of Iron Man Three. Neither was I. I, I thought, thought it was, was better than the second one. Slightly. We, and we reviewed it here on yeah, the show. Yeah, it was a little better than the second one, but nowhere near the first one. Right. Probably the least favorite Marvel movie I think I've maybe seen, too, if I think about it. I don't know. Well, no, Iron Man 2 was definitely the least favorite one. <laughs> so I'm curious. I am a fairly big fan of the original Predator movie. I, John I, McTiernan I, yeah. uh, is a really well-made movie. It's agree. a fun action movie. Um, I liked it. It was one of those Schwarzenegger roles where he wasn't playing an over-the-top caricature he seemed to be a little more grounded and i think it was a clever movie i like the premise so hey i say go for it let's let's try another one see how it works okay and since both of those were i guess science fiction related i'll throw out something it's marvel related but we've already mentioned supposedly now they've decided on a director for um ant-man it's going to be somebody that i'm a fan of uh peyton reed yes and he's the guy that did bring it on and he did uh the breakup the breakup and uh, he's down with love too, and right? Down with love, yeah, yeah. all three of those, mm-hmm. um, which I'm big fans of. Yes, man, which was his most recent film that was Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel. Not as big on, but those first three I was a really, really mm-hmm. big fan of. And um, yeah, so he's now stepping in to do Ant Man, supposedly still with Paul Rudd, and to try to deliver it on the original schedule timeline. Yeah, I heard about this. Edgar Wright got left the, left the production. Right. Supposedly, some creative differences with Marvel over the script. Right. Uh, they're still trying to hit this deadline of next summer, having it ready. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll say my interest on the film has waned a little bit because I was really looking forward to an Edgar Wright Ant-Man movie. Yeah. Uh, they brought in Adam McKay to help with the writing, uh, tun- tuning up the script a little bit. Adam McKay is director of Anchorman, Will Ferrell's partner on a lot of projects they've worked on together. So that's a little encouraging too, because I do think Adam McKay is pretty funny. Um, I just I'm always I'm always nervous when you hear a film's kind of having to be rushed up to meet a deadline and you just had a major director change and writing right. adjustments. We'll see. I'm hopeful, but Edgar Wright's Marvel film would have been pretty cool. I think it would so. have been. I still have hope that um, that Peyton Reed can do it um, yeah. because I think he can he can definitely do comedy and I don't know. I, I think. Doesn't he have a North Carolina connection? He does, actually. Uh, his mother taught me middle school English. Wow. <laughs> you guys are technically like brothers. Uh, so. yeah. uh, <laughs> cool um, but no, he does have a North Carolina collection, a connection, and I think he went to University of Chapel Hill. Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, um, I like the guy already then. But so. uh, Yeah, and he's a Carolina fan. I know he's a Carolina fan because yeah. I've seen him say stuff on All right. Twitter. Well, he's cool so in our book that. then. We like him. <laughs> Go Peyton. That's right. Make a good Ant-Man movie. Come on. All right. Well, I think that's got our news out of the way, our sci-fi, science fiction, uh, superhero news from Star Wars to Ant-Man. So we got you covered there. So you got comedy in the first little bit. You've got news on science fiction and superhero films. Now we move on to our recommendations for the episode. This is where we like to bring up a film that we think you ought to check out. Maybe you weren't aware of it. Maybe it's one that's passed you by. Maybe it's one you just haven't seen in a while. Chris, are we staying in the comedy and or sci-fi genre for your pick? What I'm going to do, there was, I was going to recommend a documentary for my pick, but unfortunately it has to do with sci-fi. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do what you've done before. I'm going to do a double recommendation. So that way the people that are so sick of hearing us talk about sci-fi, I'll actually recommend something that has nothing to do with sci-fi. Okay. So the sci-fi recommendation is the documentary, The People versus George Lucas. Hmm. Uh, I just watched this uh, night or two ago, and I really liked it. And basically, it's an examination of all the people, fans, 
that are really irritated at George Lucas for what he did for those prequel movies, you know, mm. episode one, two, and three. And they just like are railing against him because they feel like he ruined their childhood. And he just really took a good thing and ruined it. But it's a very interesting and I feel like pretty even handed explanation of he was the creator of the whole franchise. He did what he wanted to. And as the artist, he should be able to do that. It was it was an interesting exploration mm-hmm. of both sides of the issue. Yep. Um, so if you are interested at all in the Star Wars universe or actually just the whole idea of fandom and especially these days with the Internet, how it can kind of get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Strongly recommend People vs. George Lucas. Yeah. Okay. I've seen the film. Okay. I did think it was interesting. I think it's probably more fascinating for the topic you just brought up of what rights do fans have? <laughs> or in, think they have. <laughs> or think they have when it comes to a creative piece of work. Right. Because I'm kind of – I echo with what you said. I mean, uh, like uh, somebody makes a film. You as a fan, you don't own it. It's not yours. You're there to enjoy it. If that said director decides to do something similar or something to expand on it, that's his decision. If you want to make the next Star Wars movie, go make the next Star Wars movie, you know, type of thing. So I'm kind of with that. Um, I think what it did point out is that for a while, Lucas was doing some things that were kind of a little hurtful to the fans. And I think they were trying to comment on that a little bit as well. So it is that line of, you know, where does a creative piece of art exist in the public sphere right when you put it out there for mass consumption do we all own a little part of it do we all collectively own that experience and should we be upset if somebody goes back and changes that experience on us like going back and re-editing those films or making changes to it right it's an interesting question i think the film does do a pretty good job of exploring that yeah so the other film that has nothing to do with sci-fi nothing to do uh, is the foreign language film Omar, which was actually nominated for um, Best Foreign Film last year, Lost to sure. Great Beauty, that yes. we reviewed here on the show. Um, but Omar is an awesome film that I just also saw recently that has to do with a Palestinian freedom fighter that kind of gets involved in some intrigue and some mm-hmm. stuff. It's it's really well done. And uh, what I was really surprised at, too, is you know when I've seen foreign films, especially like in the Middle East and stuff, I've never, like we reviewed Wajda recently and we talked mm-hmm. about that. I've never seen so much Steadicam as what I saw in Omar. And it kind of blew me away because I was like, oh, those are really complicated kind of shots they're doing, going down these alleyways. The chase scenes they're mm-hmm. involved. And I was like, wow, this is really cool that I'm getting to see this film that's not a Hollywood film. So mm-hmm. that really like struck me. Um, I, I like it and I would recommend it highly and also the, and it's available on uh, Netflix and I think also, um, you can rent it on iTunes. The last bit of dialogue and the last shot was kind of a, a whoa. Mm, really? <laughs> and it, it, it's interesting too, because it is a callback, a reference to something that was t- discussed early in the film that you think is kind of throwaway. And at the very end of the film, it's kind of brought up and thrown in your Interesting. face. Yeah, so I, I highly recommend it. Oh, cool. And that's Omar. Well, I'm going to stay on the foreign film vein. Okay. This is a film that was actually a Foot Candle Film Society screening just in the last couple of weeks. Ah. It was the uh, Indian film, The Lunchbox, okay. which uh, I know, Chris, you did not get to see. So that's why I got to wait and hold it out for my uh, recommendation. Because <laughs> okay. I will say it was a good movie, a surprising movie. Okay. I'll say surprising. Basically, the, the plot of this is in Mumbai, uh, they have a very world-renowned lunchbox system. Okay. This is an idea where people go to the office. They go to their work in the morning. Um, in the middle of the day at lunchtime, a whole entire crew of – I mean, there's hundreds of these lunchbox delivery people. So it's like caterer-type people? Kind of. What it is is there's a service that will provide lunches in designated lunchboxes for each person that signs up for the service. Hmm. Some of most people use a centralized service. Some have their spouses cook the meals. And then these guys go and go to the spouse's house in the morning, pick up the food, put it in the container, keep it warm, get it all the way to the office place and deliver it to the spouse's workplace. Okay. The person eats their food. They box it back up. Then that same crew of people come by, pick up all those lunch boxes and take them back. Okay. The reason you do this is that a, the employee doesn't have to carry the lunch with them in the morning. It's hot and fresh when it arrives at lunch I got you. and everything's just kind of turnkey taken care of. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a film that's based on that. It's a romance film. It's a, to some degree, it's a drama film to some degree. 
where basically uh, these lunchboxes get switched on okay. one employee where he starts getting somebody else's lunchbox delivery and it's food made by that person's wife. Oh, okay. And they, this husband and wife are having some marital issues. The man who gets the lunchbox is a widower so he knows who's kind not. of a loner on okay. himself. So they start corresponding by notes through hmm. the lunchboxes back and forth. The concept's great. The story is really interesting. Uh, what I thought was really neat about the film, though, is that even the movie poster, the trailers make it out to be this romantic comedy. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I um, thought when I'd heard of it. Which it's thought. not. Okay. There is comedy in it. There are hints of romance. But this is really a drama about people getting their lives back on the right track. Hmm. And it actually ends very vaguely which to much of the disappointment of many of the crowd that we showed it to, <laughs> uh, it does not give you a very satisfying ending. Okay. Uh, it's not, it's, it goes a lot deeper, heavier places than you would expect it to. Um, I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, if Ron Khan is the lead actor and may not be familiar with him, but he has done some work in, in American movies. He was in life. of. He Pi. was in life of okay. pie, slumdog millionaire, okay. even the amazing Spider-Man. He was somebody working at ops corp. One of the researchers oh, yeah. there, um, Really good in the film. Uh, Nimrod Carr plays Ela, who is the, the the female lead. Okay, she's also extremely extremely good in this. It was just a very surprising film because I expected it to be a very lightweight romance film, and it definitely was not. There was a lot more going on, and uh, it also is one of those films where you get a, you're fascinated watching this lunchbox system <laughs> go into effect. Okay. And how efficient it because is. Because it's and how so different work. from like it anything is. we have ever. So I do think States. it's worth checking out. It's a very, very well-made film. I really enjoyed it. Although do not go in, expect a Hollywood ending film. Do not go in expecting uh, that everything just tidies up in a bow. It does not. It will okay. leave you very unsatisfied. But if you can go in knowing that it's trying to let you know where things are heading in the film, not showing you where it's going to be, you kind of have to make up your own mind where you think the story goes. It's, <laughs> it's a good film. Okay. All right. So that is our episode for today. Our, our recommendations, we had The People versus George Lucas, and we had The Lunchbox, and we had Omar. So three films you can check out now, I believe, online, all of them. The Lunchbox, I don't know if it's quite online yet. It will be in the coming weeks. Keep an eye out for it if it's not already. Uh, we had our reviews of 22 Jump Street and A Million Ways to Die in the West. We talked all about Star Wars and some other sci-fi comic book news. So I think overall, a good, well-rounded uh, episode here, Chris. Yeah. Hitting all the different genres that we could squeeze in here. So that's nice. <laughs> Did a pretty good job. So Foot Candle Films here on the TV. If you want to go back and listen to any of our old episodes, you can do so for free. You go to TheMesh.TV. You can find Foot Candle Films along with all the other shows on the Mesh Network. All the episodes stay up there in, in perpetuity. You can go back and listen to them anytime you want to. They're all free to listen to, free to download to your portable player, however you want to listen to them. Apple iTunes, we'd love to get your star ratings on the show and any comments you've got for us on, on Foot Kindle Films or any other Mesh show that you've got. And if you need to reach out to us, you can always do that by dropping us a line at info at themesh.tv or just go on the mesh.tv's website and hit the contact us form button. Uh, next time we get together, we'll do some more movie reviews, some more movie news and recommendations. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedbacks, thoughts, comments, agree, disagree with the reviews we gave today. We always encourage the, uh, the listener feedback. Sound good, Chris? Sounds good. Okay, I think we're wrapping it up for today. We will definitely talk to everybody next time when we record our next episode. Until then, take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.